Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from the Webinar Vet, welcoming you to another episode of Vet Chat, the UK's number one leading veterinary podcast. I'm very pleased and delighted to tell you today that we've got Carrie Westgarth on the line. Carrie is a lecturer at Liverpool University where she lectures on uh, animal welfare and the human-animal bond. We're going to be talking today about dog bites. So before we crack on with that, uh, Carrie, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself before we start? Uh, yeah, can do. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, I started in a um, zoology, genetics, animal behaviour background um, and then moved into dog training and animal behaviour work. Um, and I was an assistance dog trainer for a while and I also worked um, in an animal rescue centre for a while. And then I came into research and did a PhD and trained in veterinary epidemiology and human public health and has built, built a research portfolio from there all around the pets that we live with, mainly dogs, and why we live with them, what we do with them, how that impacts them, how they impact us. And then I also teach the veterinary undergraduate students uh, in this area. And, you know, as we were saying, that human-animal bond is so important. And a lot of the time that goes really well. But unfortunately, we do see episodes where animals have to be, you know, destroyed because of biting or sent back to a rescue centre. And of course, you know, bites can be as not severe as you know a little scratch up to unfortunately i know we've had some deaths this year as well um you're obviously doing a lot of research around dog bites and i know to start it'd be really fascinating to hear about your virtual dog we were talking about it before we we came onto the podcast we obviously did a virtual dog for anatomy as part of uh hollow vet that was she with the german shepherd dog but uh, tell us a bit about dave so yeah, Dave is a, a Labrador. So we went for quite a common generic breed that people would think would be quite friendly. Um, and Dave stands for Dog Assisted Virtual Environment, which I think is probably the greatest creative moment of my career so far to come up with that. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a virtual reality dog. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the virtual reality work we had planned got turned into kind of virtual, but not quite virtual reality because of COVID, because we couldn't do face-to-face -face research. Yeah. Um, but we have piloted him as face-to-face -face as well as used him in more online video formats as well for research purposes. So basically <clears throat> he um, is in either in the corner of a room or he's in the corner of a park. He can choose between the two environments and he's standing there. And as you approach him, his behavior changes. And so uh, he basically moves through what we would call the ladder of aggression through some of those uh, moves, um, lifting his uh, paw up, turning his head away, um, doing yawning, licking his lips, moving backwards until the point, if you go right up close to him and try to touch him, he will lunge and bite you. Um, and we designed this for numerous reasons we wanted a we want a safe environment where we can test how people react to an aggressive dog so it's safe for the people and it's safe for the dogs no dogs are being harmed in the process of this research um, but b could it be used as an intervention um, for training people about body language of dogs when they're feeling un unsure and worried 
and then C, could it possibly be used as an intervention um, for people who have phobias of dogs to be able to be in a controlled virtual environment around a virtual dog as well? So it's in the very early stages. We're quite doing pilot research at, the, at this, this point, you know, exploring how people react to him. Um, but it, we, we are hoping for more funding in this area. And, and there's been fantastic work done by James Oxley, my PhD student, and, and it was his idea in the first place. And, Mm. Um, so really proud of that work he's been he's been doing and it's brilliant that we're seeing more and more work done which is very much evidence-based because of course you know obviously I, I I'm a vet and I have a, a feeling that I'm fairly intuitive around dogs and I'm thankfully you know didn't receive any sort of serious injuries while I was practicing but of course the danger with intuition is it's obviously not nearly as as um as important as sort of evidence-based stuff. And we can end up with myths that get into the literature because mm. somebody writes about it who's reasonably authoritative and suddenly everybody talks about it. Uh, do you think there are myths that need to be dispelled within this area of, of uh, perhaps wisdom that's been passed down that is actually incorrect? There are lots of myths around uh, dog bites and dog bite prevention, I think. Um, and some of them are actually around, they're not just common to, to dog bites, they're common myths around injury prevention. So they're, they're common ways we perceive our risk of injury um, and that are nothing to do with, with dogs, but we apply them to, to the dog situation as well. But it's, it's kind of complicated even further by the dog situation because they're not just an object that may harm us, they're an animal with our own relationship with that animal so it's almost like another person so um but there are lots of myths so for example that um it wouldn't happen to me so we all think you know you know but dogs like me and i wouldn't get bitten hmm. um or this dog wouldn't bite me because he knows me and he likes me or my dog wouldn't bite anyone it's it's other people's dogs that bite people and actually none of that is is true um lots of you know everybody thinks my dog wouldn't bite someone until their dog bites someone and everybody thinks oh, i'm not going to get bitten i know what i'm doing until they get bitten mm -hmm. um so try not to fall into uh into that trap um for sure the other thing we do a lot is victim blaming so you know when someone has a car crash we think well they must have been driving stupidly uh for example um and with dogs, we tend to say, well, somebody did something wrong. The child jumped on the dog. The, yeah. um, the postal worker frightens the dog. Um, all, all sorts of things. Um, and I see this when I interview dog bite victims. You know, there's quotes like, in every bite time I've ever been bitten, I've been to blame. I could have done something differently. Um, and although, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to think that. Um, interestingly, that woman was one who's uh she was walking a friend's dog that she was looking after and that dog saw another dog and kicked off and was on the lead and redirected basically just turned and bit her leg rather than um obviously right, couldn't dog. get to what he wanted and actually mm -hmm. you think it's very quite hard in that situation to be doing anything different yes. than standing there with the dog on on the lead so it's so interesting that she thought that that was her fault 
Um, it's also a situation. bit embarrassing because if that's a relationship, you know, I had an uncle and aunt who the dog, you would walk in and it would just bark and bark. And if it got the chance, it would try and bite you. Well, that was clearly, you know, a dog that needed to be managed better mm. and differently. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just merely inhabiting its yeah. space. And maybe I shouldn't have inhabited its space. And in fact, funnily enough, I used to inhabit its space less and less because I went less because it wasn't fun going. Yeah. So that this ends up where people become isolated, don't they? Because nobody wants to come to the house because they've got a nutty dog in the house. Yeah. And we did a survey of... Um, dog bite victims and about 35% of the dog bites occurred when someone was trying to interact with the dog in some way but all of the others they weren't actually really necessarily interacting with the dog sometimes they don't even know the dog is there it just runs up behind them and bites them um so that idea that it, it's a natural instinct to, to want to think about what was happening during that very last moment before the bite occurred but actually in terms of injury prevention what measures could be put in way, way before that moment of that interaction, even in order to make sure that that bite didn't occur. So for example, you know, um, we spoke earlier about the use of muzzles. Um, that's something that if the dog was muzzle trained and was happy wearing a muzzle, before you even get to a situation where you're interacting with that dog, you have prevented that, that dog bite, yeah. not around the way you're actually interacting with it. Um, so it's kind of thinking a bit more widely than thinking, what did the victim do to cause this dog to bite them? Um, mm. Which is just a very, very narrow part of how we prevent dog bites from happening. And I suppose also even somebody who's had a dog for 10 years and suddenly that dog bites, that may be due to, for example, the dog has a sore hip or it's becoming slightly senile. It can then act out of character because the person has touched it in a certain place that it's uncomfortable with. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, vets are on the very sharp end of this because a lot of animals are being brought in in, in pain. Um, certainly when I'm looking through um, context of dog bites to children, quite a lot of them, it will note that the dog is fairly elderly now and has never done anything like this before. Mm. And the, the dog um, was lying there and the person tripped or something and fell mm. on them or even just you know gently brush past them and they're more yeah. reactive in that sense and Daniel Mills at the University of Lincoln have done some fantastic uh, work um, and he around sort of pain and behavior and and talking to him he reckons that pretty much every behavior problem he sees has some element of pain somewhere in mm. the history um, so I think this is vastly underestimated um, and certainly when I had my own child and an elderly dog when I had my child was a toddler our dog was quite elderly at the time and I was just aware that as much as she liked him if she was just asleep and he accidentally fell on her that was not going to end end well and that yes. wouldn't have been anyone's fault but mine really and I think <laughs> this is where veterinary advice is very important that um you know, young children, anybody sort of under seven or eight really can't be left with a dog on their own because even a small dog can deliver, you know, a, a, a life-changing injury to a face or whatever, can't they? It can. Um, and we've seen fatalities with very small breeds. Mm. Um, we certainly see um, lots of very life-changing injuries, especially to children with very small breeds. 
um, very common breeds, a breeds that you wouldn't think. So um, mm. French Bulldogs, Shih Tzus, Pugs, Cockapoos, yeah. they, are, they are all in this data. Um, so yes, just because you think your dog is quite small and, and perhaps um, isn't therefore so much of a risk, it's just, it's just not worth it. Hmm. The webinar vet has been serving the veterinary community with CPD for over a decade. But did you know we offer so much more than just that? Our sister company, Sympathy Vets, have veterinary jobs all in one place. We serve the full veterinary team, providing permanent and locum roles in practice, whilst also providing a simple and transparent solution to IR35 where needed. We also care about the environment. That's why we plant trees for every one of our practice members. To find out more, please visit simplyvets.com today. Talking about dog breeds, do, do you see in your research that there's certain types of dogs that are much more likely to bite? So um, we did a systematic review of the literature and we found um, no consistent evidence of breed effects. So even when there were studies that had found that some breeds were more at risk of being aggressive than others, aggressive behavior, they, the studies didn't agree with each other. So there was across the studies, um, there was no consistency with it, within that. Having said that, I think there is a difference between the risk of being aggressive. We know any dog can be uh, aggressive. In, in the right situation. You could push any dog to be aggressive, especially if it's in pain. Um, but then there possibly is a difference as to how much damage it could do when it's aggressive, which is another tenant of, of, of injury prevention is trying to um, limit the damage that occurs. So for example, um, seat belts on cars, they don't stop us getting into accidents, but they limit, and airbags as another mm. example, they limit the damage that can occur yeah. when an accident does happen. So yes, if you have a larger, powerful, energetic dog, perhaps we do need to be even more careful. The only consistent finding that we found in the literature was around um, genetics and heritability. So I'm not American, talking about- American cockers. Uh, yes, there were some studies um, in cocker spaniels, uh, but, but but the studies would just happen to be in those breeds. So we're not talking about there being a high risk of certain breeds, but mm. within lines, within breeds. Yeah. So, so it's so important then that you are looking at the temperament of the lines, of the dam and the sire, uh, and of the puppies that, that you're getting. Because although we think, oh, I'm a great owner and I'll do all the right things and I can fix this dog, actually you, you, what you get you can't change the genetics yeah. of it you can't change that genetic history and so that is so important and we did a study with the association of pet behavior counselors whom i'm a member of um, we did a, a case control study with our members and we found that if parents um, so if owners hadn't seen the parents of the puppy compared mm. to if they had if they hadn't seen both parents they were four times more likely to have behavior problems later on. Yeah. And if they hadn't seen um, one parent compared to seeing both parents, um, they, um, they were two and a half 
times mm. more likely. So basically seeing one parent is kind of good, but seeing both is, is much idea. better in terms of in terms of that. And that links back, I think, to that that genetic uh, tendencies that which is really hard because this person when they come in and they've got a dog that's aggressive, you know, you can't rewind time and say, mm. well, 10 years ago, where did you get this dog from? And what were the genetics and temperament of the parents? Mm. But I think as a society, this idea, there's no such thing as a bad dog, just a bad owner. Actually, you need to source a good dog in the first mm. place as well. Well, I know this was the American Cocker Spaniels. I don't know if names have been changed and things, but I remember meeting a few of these um, red cockers with rage syndrome and you know whatever you did they were just angry dogs yeah there's been a lot of controversy over the rage thing and i don't know that we ever got to the bottom of it certainly we're seeing problems i'm seeing reported problems with cockapoos now yeah. um but again i think it's certain lines um or also yes. coming from certain breeding establishments um, in yeah. terms of behaviourists I know that are working with, with clients and having, yeah, really young puppies. They're coming into your classes, they're young puppies and they're already showing uh, signs of aggression. And that is really, really quite worrying because by that point, the owner's not even had them long in order to have done anything mm. to cause this. No. It's interesting that you say it is lines because, of course, I also know some really nice yeah. red cocker spaniels. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that they seem to have something that was not right. And, you know, as you say, it's possibly just a line. Thing. Well, it probably is just a line thing. But there was a lot of misdiagnosis as well. There was a lot of I think at the time yeah. there was a then, you know, once things catch on, it was then. Yeah, well, this it's, is it's rage. And it's like, no, yeah. it's a it's a dog that's become really frightened of the person handling it because they cut its nail quick or something like that yeah and, <laughs> well and, always look for the simpler explanation as well yes well i know um, mike willard who i always quote one of famous gastroenterologists in america he said everything i taught you 10 years ago was a lie so seeing as i haven't practiced for a little bit i always preface things in case i'm uh, a bit behind the curve on those um finally you know perhaps some tips for veterinary surgeons and nurses, you know, we're handling dogs a lot. Are the things that um, in your research you've seen that vets and nurses have done that, and you know, not wanting to victimize and say it's the victim's fault, but things that perhaps they have done that we shouldn't be doing and how can we correct those? So perhaps two or three tips to finish. Yeah. I think firstly, um, make yourself very behaviorally aware in terms of what are those signs um, that uh, a dog is looking stressed uh, and worried about a situation. It can be, um, can be subtle. There are lots of great training courses, even YouTube clips people have made about these things and we can all learn, uh, learn more. But hopefully you're fairly experienced um, with dogs. And I mean, and a lot of this stuff's not necessarily taught in great depth uh, in vet school training or, or wasn't in the past. Um, the other thing is learning low stress handling techniques. Um, I think a lot of the traditional handling techniques or the techniques that we've just got used to doing because that's the way it's just easy to do it um, can actually uh, be a bit overwhelming for some dogs. So is there anything you can improve in terms of, you know, leaning over the dog, how much the dog is being restrained and things. 
if you are uh, have any concerns whatsoever get a muzzle on safety safety first get someone who's really good at restraint um uh, as well so a lot of vets get caught out and vet students get caught out when dogs are coming around from anesthetics um they get their let their guards down uh, and maybe put their face in too close um at this point and the dog can suddenly move um, so we see that quite a bit in the data um yeah quite a few things that I, think, I think um think about. you know one of the things I was always very keen on was having a nurse hold the dog rather than an owner because owners don't always hold that well <laughs> they can let go and things so uh, it's I, a difficult I, I one that um it is difficult because is that going to stress the dog out more yeah. um keep the owner in sight yes. you know so that the, the dog was seeing the owner but perhaps uh if i didn't really trust the owner then i felt better to trust the nurse yeah yeah um the other thing to think about finally just to mention is this idea of i think when we're working with animals a lot i've done a lot of jobs with animals and daily looking after yeah. animals in kennels and things we can we do learn an intuition about how things are happening um, what we're observing and we may not always be conscious of that intuition but something tells us something's a bit off uh, which can be really helpful um, but also we can that intuition can, can let us down by making us a bit too complacent and trusting at times in particular yeah. if we've known a dog for a long time or we've dealt with a lot of dogs that look and been behaving like that dog right now and this idea again of coming back to it's not going to happen to me or that mm. dog's just, that dog's not going to bite it's never bitten before um and even uh, so my my phd student sarah she worked a lot in in shelters and uh, with veterinary, interviewing veterinary professionals and she found that um even when a dog's behaving in a way that actually is showing that um it's maybe not happy in this situation because it's never hurt us before or we we know that dog quite well um we can be a bit too too trusting with that and just keep your wits about you how is this happening right now because this is a different yeah. day and this dog could react differently this day than it has has before because it's social relationships we have with this animal we do build up with trust with them which is lovely but that can let us down um, mm. when it comes to being on our wits about um the p potential for a dog bite to occur carrie that's been really brilliant um i think it's such an important area the work that you're doing is fantastic so please carry on doing that i think it's really important also because i can't remember ever having a lecture about dog bites at university so the fact that we're beginning to talk about that to the students is fantastic so thank you so much for your time and um thanks everyone for listening this has been vet chat great to uh see you and hopefully see you on a podcast or a webinar very soon bye-bye